0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne. It's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today we are jamming with Andrew Horn, who is the co-founder and CEO of Tribute.co, a platform with over 5 million users that the New Yorker hails as the Hallmark 2.0. The business was recently ranked number 256 on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing companies in the country. Feel free to provide any updates, Andrew, on that. Um, In addition, though, he is leading companies. um, He is a certified coach and facilitator who supports mission-driven entrepreneurs to build the life and business of their dreams. 2017, he started the Junto, a not-so-secret club for the exploration of modern manhood and personal transformation and leads monthly men's retreats around the USA. I mean, there's a bunch that we can jump into, so (laughs) I'm excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. Excited to be here. Before we jump into the work and some of these topics, I start the show in the same way um, for every guest, and that's just simply with the question, who are you?
1: Yeah. Who am I? It's a question I think a lot about and that I do pretty tangible work in the world, helping other people to find answers to that question that are meaningful to them on their own terms. And so ultimately I would say that you are your values. I would say that you are the summation of everything that you have already done and everything you will ever do. I would say you are your legacy and how you will be remembered. Uh, and your present moment experience, you are your emotions. This is yeah. the closest approximation, moment to moment, of who we are and how we can share the most authentic version of ourselves
0: with other people. There's are a few so, ways to think about. Who sure. So what what are what are some answers to those questions for you in this moment? Because it yeah. evol- I know it evolves uh, as our life evolves, but right now, as we sit here today, like what what resonates or what what is surfacing.
1: Yeah, I think that for for me, I am my commitment to service. I am my commitment to curiosity is the most interesting and meaningful lens to experience the world. Uh, I am someone who is still incredibly stoked for having experienced some of the best powder in my entire life at a conference <laughs> in Rebel Stoke this past week. Yes. I'm feeling alive. Go Canada. Uh, I am, you know, someone who's grounded in, The deep connection and community is fundamental to enjoying life and kind of sucking the most juice out of it. Uh, I'm someone who's leaning deeply into novelty and the ability to experience as much as possible while I'm here because I'm fundamentally so grateful for the experience of being alive and that gratitude is a very fundamental aspect of of who i am and what i experience day to day i I have an apparel company that's literally called holy shit we're alive because Mm -hmm. i just want to remind people of that fundamental sentiment and piece of awareness that before we get upset or go experience something awesome that we're here and we get to experience anything at all and um yeah that's a little bit about who i am and and how i'm here i'm those things and then i'm I'm deeply committed to creativity. I, I like to build things that remind me how I want to live. That's kind of my life mantra as an entrepreneur. so I build uh, tech companies. I build uh, experiences and retreats that fundamentally help people to connect with themselves and other people in meaningful ways. and so uh, my creativity is is so tied to that mantra of Building things and creating things that remind me how I want to live and so much of my writing and my speaking and everything fundamentally comes back to that drive.
0: Everything that you just mentioned, to me at least, seems like seems like it's taken, you know, some good reflections, some good practices, some 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 decent life experience to get to these uh these realizations. Or correct me if I'm wrong, because I mean T- this isn't the default path that most of us are on. Usually something happens or something, you know, uh, flips in your life and, and we start to become a little bit more curious and uh, the questions start to upgrade and then things start to come together. Is, is, is that, is your story similar to that? Or, you know, did you just grow up with this kind of, these set of values and this, this mentality?
1: You know, I, I, I came to this realization uh, much through desperation, I would say. For sure. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, my my path really started with a single question and someone who cared enough to to really care about the answer. And so, uh, I would say that I really stepped onto this path of self inquiry and questioning my life uh, around the time I was 21 years old. At the time, I was a senior at Virginia Tech. I was studying hospitality. I was promoting in nightclubs already, social chair of a massive fraternity, having a lot of fun, but ultimately not very fulfilled and certainly didn't have a lot of confidence in who I was, how I was showing up in the world. I could present and package myself as confident, but deep down, I really didn't feel like I had any direction or clarity about what I wanted to do with my life. And now I was getting ready to leave college and so there's a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen next. And I was really fortunate to go to an event called Renaissance Weekend, uh, which is an entrepreneurship kind of thought collective that's, that's been around for about 30 years. And the way that they create these conferences is very cool. They basically pool the collective of intelligence of everyone that they invite. So that could be anyone from a US Senator, to a professional athlete, to an astronaut, to a presidential speech writer, to a Fortune 500 CEO, to an entrepreneur. And what they do at every event, they do a couple a year, is they take a look at the collective intelligence and expertise of everyone who's there. And then they build panels around that collective expertise. Mm -hmm. So the programming is never the same. It's completely dependent on who's there and what are they a genius at. And throughout the day, you just go to these different panels and learn about stuff from people who are experts in it. And it's amazing to be at that event because everyone you meet, you know, they're not just an attendee, they're actually contributing and they're a speaker. Yeah. So every conversation you have is just learning from someone and, and taking in wisdom for four straight days, which I've, I loved. And so I was at that event and at the time I felt very insecure because I was 21. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'm walking around this room with all these ambitious high achieving people. And I'm like, who the hell am I? Like, what do I have to contribute here, right? Yeah. It's, uh, and I go to this this session on one of the last days and the title of the session is what is a life well lived, right? Ooh, Which is I like a, that. Very, a very famous question within the academic pursuit of philosophy, but the life well lived is a, a very common kind of point of inquiry. And so we go into this session and just like I had mentioned, the panel's filled with a, a US senator. You have a professional basketball player. You have... An entrepreneur, and one of the last people is a, a career counselor at HBS at Harvard Business School, and so everyone gets up and they have their answers, and it's all about hard work, it's about integrity, and it's about uh, passion and purpose, but there are all these tropes that I've heard before and didn't really speak to me, and so I'm sitting in the back of the room, and then the last person stands up, and he's got bright orange hair and Harry Potter glasses and this tweed jacket, and he stands up and he says. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and ask yourself, am I living a life well-lived? And you will like the question or you won't, and you'll have an opportunity to change something. And he said, some of you will wake up 10 years from now and ask yourself that same question, and you'll either like the question or you won't, and you'll have an opportunity to change something. Which one would you rather be? He said, the life well-lived simply comes down to asking ourselves that question and looking at the answer honestly. And if we're not living that life, doing something today and every day thereafter to live a life well-lived on our own terms. And I just remember that he kind of gave me permission to say like, I didn't know what it meant to live a life well-lived, but that I, I get to start asking that question. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went up to him and we ended up having dinner afterwards at this place called Somewhere North Abroad in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And we sat down and and I, he knew how much is, his uh, answer had impacted me. And so one of his first questions was, what are you passionate about? And I laugh at my answer because it was partying, making money and women. And he laughed <laughs> and he said, okay. And so his, his response was, do you know the difference between happiness and pleasure? I said, no. And he said, pleasure is that which feels good, but ultimately it is fleeting. He said, happiness, is something that feels good, but those feelings are long lasting. Mm. And so he said, what do you do that makes you happy where after the event or the activity is done, you still feel good that you have done it because partying oftentimes the way that I was chasing women and the money and the way that I was spending it were not sustaining those good feelings. Yeah, I was on the roller coaster of doing something, crashing, and then seeking more pleasure. And I realized that in that moment, I really didn't have an answer to what was I doing that made me happy. And so he was the first person who helped me to see that I did not have answers to really important questions. And that it was more important to start answering those questions at 21 than at 31 or 41 or 51. Yeah. And I think that that's been so fundamental in just how I live my life. Because I think that again, I know what it's like for so many people to have the right answers and to tell me what it means to live a good life and what I need to do. And none of it made any difference because I wasn't available to hear it. The thing that fundamentally transformed my journey was someone who just gave me the space, asked me a question, and let me not have an answer and figure it out for myself.
0: What a pivotal moment. I mean, and I have goosebumps just thinking about that, that dinner with such a... Uh... I mean as you know I'm a pretty uh pretty passionate human for really good quality questions and those those definitely uh fall within that definition. I'm curious then from that that point. I mean it sounds like like you said you didn't really have the answer at that time. Uh feels like to me that you you eventually got there. How <laughs> how how did that journey kind of unfold and how did it lead to some of your some of the, the companies that you're working that you've created now and uh you know the work that that energizes you and 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 whatnot <laughs> <laughs> well i laughed because it was uh opportune timing because
1: i just so happened to be reading into the wild at this time and so for people who are not familiar with this book it's about christopher mccandless Uh, who graduates from Elon University and he has this crisis of consciousness, doesn't wanna go into the corporate world. So he burns almost all of his possessions and he decides to hitchhike across uh, the country to Alaska. And I won't give away the whole story, but I read this and I'm like, wow, there's some very similar overlap here. It's interesting. And then you know, while I'm reading the book and after I've had this conversation with Stever, uh, I find out that my dad is going to be moving to Alaska. No and way. <laughs> in our conversation, I say, well, how are you going to get there? And he's like, I'm going to fly and moving truck go. And I said, why don't we drive it? And at the time I was graduating from school and I still didn't have any jobs that I was excited about. I was really going into hotel work that didn't, didn't really do it for me. And uh, he said, are you, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And so we packed up our Mercury station wagon it was champagne colored. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we drove across the country for a month. And on that road trip where I said, hey, like it makes more sense. It was very astute at the time that it makes more sense to figure out what I really wanna do than to just dive into a job that I know I don't care about at all. And about halfway through that trip, we're driving through the Great Lakes in Michigan. And I asked my dad a question about his time in the military. He was an experimental uh, Test pilot, highly decorated, and uh, flew in Vietnam. And and as I was talking to him about his time there, he had this reverence for the work that he was doing, the community that he had built, the depth of service. And I I remember saying to him, wow, it sounds like you're really proud of your time there. And he said, yeah, deeply. And then he looked back at me and he said, what's the last thing you've done that you're proud of? And I just sat there again. And it was another question that I did not have an answer to. And rather than just moving on to some other conversation, I just sat in that unknowing for a while. And then the first thing that came up is that my junior year of college, I had an opportunity to volunteer for an organization that did adaptive athletics for young people with disabilities. So I was flyer bombing North Beach in in Chicago, uh, doing adaptive water skiing clinics. I was uh, working with the Chicago White Sox and Black Sox to help uh, young people with disabilities to play hockey and baseball. And at the time, I thought it was a really cool experience and I enjoyed myself. Uh, I I saw my efforts directly related to $10,000 in donations and hundreds of kids participating in these activities, but it, it didn't resonate deeply or impact me how important that was until this moment when I looked back on junior year and this experience that I had engaged in for three months. And I said, well, when I thought about the work that I was doing there, I was filled with a sense of pride, those Mm -hmm. kind feelings that that Steve had talked about of happiness is that which you do, which makes you feel good long after the act is over. And here I was two years later and I could still remember those experiences viscerally and it made me feel good about myself and I had pride. And so I tell my dad that it was this, it was this time working with the organization and creating these events. And sometimes the the simplest wisdom is the most uh, impactful. And he just looks back at me and he said, so why don't you do more of that? And I think there's something powerful about having nothing because it makes it easier for us to take action. Mm-hmm. I have a, a great female friend who's, uh, she's a coach and she practices internal family systems. And what she says is that so often people are apra- afraid to leap for what they want because they're afraid to lose what they have that they don't even want but they're afraid that there's nothing, there's something worse if they lose what they have that they don't want. And so at that stage in my life, I really didn't have any idea what I was doing. I had no job. And from that place of not really having a great deal of anything, I was just like, yeah, why don't I do that? I only have one thing I know of that I'm proud of, that I'm passionate of. And so uh, long story short, that led me to start uh, really one of the first large scale adaptive athletic providers in Washington, DC. And we created this really innovative model where we would work with, all of the professional sports teams in the city leverage their uh, media contacts, their resources, their facilities to host large-scale clinics where you could introduce young people with physical developmental disabilities to a wide range of every sport that's available to them, all the organizations that are available. And so to this day, we've had tens of thousands of kids that have come through our programs and many of whom you know, engage in uh, long-term sustainable athletic programs now, and as someone who was an athlete growing up, to be able to share uh, those activities in the community that uh, kind of inevitably comes from participating in them was deeply powerful. My first entrepreneurial experience, opportunity to really work for myself. And so, but all of it came from asking those questions and coming up with answers that resonated. And it was ultimately coming up with that deep connection to service Mm -hmm. and feeling the purpose of that where I was able to find the motivation to act. For the yeah. first time in my life, I had the motivation to work a nine to six job and work from six to 2 a.m. in the morning, four nights of the week, because I believed in what I was doing. I cared about it. I had the willing to go out and fail and get turned down time and time again, fundraising because I believed in it. And so that was really that pivotal moment where I just realized that purpose was the most sustainable motivator on the planet. And that, that's where I found it early on and the same has been true with every business that i've started thereafter it's just been a deep connection to purpose and and how i was contributing in the world
0: i find it fascinating you know it seems like so far at least in what you shared there's there are a couple themes and and i see this across you know hundreds of in- interviews on this show as well you know you 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 took yourself off autopilot or you did not go on autopilot i mean i think you probably could have easily just graduated slipped into the work and like the majority of, of society does. And, and then, you know, then I guess coming back to some of your original conversations with, um, was it Stever? Is that? Stever was the name, Stever Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, asking some of those fundamental life questions, you know, when you're 50 and like, oh shit, like what happened? Like, how did I get to this point? Um, so you're asking those questions, but the other, I think that the key in that formula is that you put yourself in a position of, of having some stillness, the, you know, the month long drive, the even going to the conference and taking time and not just jumping into something. And that's, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing and you're doing as well, especially with, with Junto, it's, it's like, we've got to take ourselves out of the rat race to, to, to think and let our minds just breathe a little bit, right. and Slow it down, ask some good questions and, and like, look at the results. I mean, you've got, multiple organizations, you know, with the ripple effect of helping uh, a lot of people across a whole host of, of different topics. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. I, I think a lot about solitude. My my dad, in addition to being a, a pilot, he's a musician and okay. so jazz and, and classical music. And I'm a huge music fan and I DJ and I build a lot of playlists. And um, when he was going to this house in Alaska, one of his dreams was that he would turn it into an artist retreat, a place that they would go. And I remember on the way there, I was listening to Vampire Weekend, who at the time I loved. And he was listening to this and he just looks at me and he's like, Oh, this is such shit. Like, this is so timely and boring. And I was like, What do you mean? This is great. It sounds like Paul Simon. And he was like, No, it's definitely not Paul Simon. And he looked at me and he said, Do you know? uh, how time he said, what did he, he said specifically, um, you know, what makes timeless art different? And I said, no. And he said, uh, to create timeless art, you need to allow yourself to be alone. And he said, people of your generation are afraid of being alone. You're so connected all the time. And he said, it's only when we are truly alone, that we can connect with the essence of the human spirit that Mm. transcends the zeitgeist and culture, but connects with something that's so deeply fundamental and human that it is good. It's timeless across any any era. And I've always loved that. And I think that so much great work, not just music, really does come from that place, but from people who are willing to get really, quiet and Mm -hmm. allow themselves to create from that place and i was just spending a weekend with one of my friends who's who's an incredible entrepreneur built a, a couple of several hundred million dollar companies and he's getting ready to build his his next one and he talked about the importance of that space of he's getting ready to go and so he's an engineer and so he's like he's going into this hacker space and he talked about the sensitivity of the momentum that's important for him in this first stage of building a company that one call can completely knock him off his path. Yeah. And so he goes in, he creates the walls around that and he's just going in and something beautiful builds on top of itself and the momentum. And so um, so yeah, all, all of the most successful people that I know make time to really be by themselves and yeah. then, and they learn to enjoy that time.
0: Yeah, well, I, and it, the person that comes to mind as well is our our mutual friend Colin O'Brady, and who's uh, for listeners if you haven't heard, really he's been on this show. as Well, I mean, he just literally came out of a cave, I think, yeah, right? I, I for, was I messaged him this morning, and he was like, "You would enjoy this," and I was like, "All right, <laughs> let's see. What we do. So I'll have to i to get him back on once he starts talking about that experience a little bit more. But um, it seems fascinating, like just being in in pure darkness for a week. I can only imagine. Uh, I can't imagine, and that's kind of the that that's kind of the excitement of it like what what would surface what would like what kind of tricks would your mind play on your on yourself and like there's there's just got to be such a beautiful arc and story and and waves of emotions that that show up in an experience like that yeah, I mean that's I think so much of
1: it, right is our ability to truly be with ourselves is amazing. it's that I think that so much of our Detrimental behaviors are ultimately a product of us being unable to sit with our present moment experience. It's that we want to distract, and so we go to social media, we wanna watch TV, uh, we avoid challenging conversations that make us feel uncomfortable, but the more resilient we are to simply being with, processing, integrating, and sharing, Our experience just being with ourselves like there's so much that opens up on the other end of that and it's truly a practice yeah
0: hello friends given you're here i'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit so with that in mind i want to let you know about the better questions newsletter which publishes once or twice a month providing all of us the opportunity to slow down think and ask better questions as you know, quality questions are my thing. And this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Well, talk to me a little bit about how some of these practices have, have helped shaped, helped shape, you know, your, your life in some big moments now, whether you want to talk about a marriage that just finished or even just, you know, even just Junto and the work that's being, you know, how that all came to be. I mean, I I imagine all of these things are are heavily linked to you sitting in some silence and asking some pretty good questions and being really honest uh, with yourself. Yeah, I mean, when
1: I, when I look at kind of my dharma, really, when I look at purpose, I think of purpose as the commitment to the service of something greater than the self. And I think that there's an important distinction to be made between purpose and a calling. And I think that a calling, similar to purpose, but it's when we are using our unique lived experience as fuel to be of service to something greater than ourselves. And for me, mm-hmm. I had a really interesting experience growing up in Hawaii, where I was experienced a lot of racial discrimination growing up, and was really isolated and bullied a lot. And it's kind of a, a thing that happens in Hawaii. There's a term called the Howley, and going to tough public schools growing up, which was really va- a valuable experience to help me to empathize with marginalized communities and. And in that experience, I experienced a a great deal of isolation and loneliness early in my Mm. life. And I remember the pain of that so viscerally. And so when I moved away from Hawaii when I was 14, I knew that pain and I committed myself to do whatever it took to make sure that I didn't feel that way ever again. And so as a 14-year-old, I started doing all the things that we, we all know so well, which is trying to... Uh, people please and to externally validate and be liked by everyone I could meet and trying to say the right thing and be the person who I thought everyone wanted me to be. And I learned how to play that role really well, right? Mm -hmm. It allowed me to build community. It allowed me to build companies. But fundamentally something that I dealt with for a really long time was uh, deep-seated insecurity, limiting beliefs, social anxiety that held me back and made so much of the activities that I enjoyed draining and, and not that fun. And so, so much of my work really revolves around the nexus of communication and meaningful connection. And for so, how did you long, make
0: that connection? Just for you, sorry to interrupt, but just was there, like, did you always know that 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 time in your life when you were fourteen was was you know a, a trigger, or was there, you know, I, I'm leaning towards potential psychedelic trips or anything yeah, else or so something like, in between that surfaced that and helped you make the connection.
1: Yeah, I think what I had realized is that mm, I saw how deeply, how much better my life got when I started to commit to building relationships okay. right after that experience. And so got I knew you. that my my experience and enjoyment of life magnified exponentially when I started to get those friends. And so I immediately knew that relationships were really a priority for me early on. Maybe I wasn't so consciously articulating it, but I knew that that was something that I started to prioritize because again, I was coming from such a place of lack when I was younger. Sure, And so I definitely didn't have that clarity when I was going through college. I think that afterwards, what I started to realize when I started my first company, wanted to become an entrepreneur, built the adaptive athletic nonprofit is a huge aspect that was important to me became the community aspect. That was something that really differentiated our nonprofit is that Fundamentally, what we were doing is creating these activities, but building a community, not just for the kids, but for the parents who oftentimes are so marginalized and disconnected from activities that allow them to enjoy life and develop as humans. And so I was definitely aware of that. And around this time when I was starting my company, I'm fortunate that I come from a lineage of uh, book writing, uh, Hall of Fame speaker mom named Sam Horn. And so- The art of communication as a mechanism to develop meaningful relationships and push projects forward was something that I was uh, privy to from a very young age. And so I, I was aware of the frameworks and techniques and tools that were available to build meaningful relationships, to navigate conflict, to do all these things. And I had an opportunity to help her to to transform twenty years of book writing into a strategic communication agency, and learned a lot of these techniques and tools. And when uh, I started my company Tribute, you know, I, I learned one fundamental technique of human connection, which is just that one of the simplest things we can do to build meaningful relationships is share our appreciation more yeah. directly. And yeah. you know, that story very quickly is that on my twenty fourth birthday, I got a video montage that my wife had whipped together with all my friends and family members, surprised me with it in the back of the room. I'm watching this video bawling my eyes out because I've never uh, I've never felt this type of outpouring of respect and admiration and love from the people that I cared about. And it was so transformative for me because I, I walked into the other room, I looked at my wife, I was like, how did you do this? She said, well, it really sucked. It took me like 30 hours. I had to email everyone hundred times and edit the videos together. And I said to myself, I feel like I just watched my eulogy and that oh, people wow. don't do this. They don't experience this until they're dead and in the ground or buried or whatever it might be. And I remember the feeling that I felt there, which was as someone who had dealt with limiting beliefs, insecurity, anxiety, to know so explicitly that I matter that deeply in the eyes of the people that I cared about, that I loved, that I valued, I realized without a question of a doubt that that was the most important thing on the planet. In that moment, I knew Mm -hmm. that, that feeling connected to those people and mattering to those people who matter to me, that that was enough, that that was enough. For a, a life well lived to matter to those people who matter to you, and so I've I've had a long journey with communication where I think that for a long time I fundamentally did lean on a lot of these techniques and tools and frameworks. But as I was still building companies and raising millions of dollars, the reality is that I would oftentimes go into you know conferences, whether Davos or Summit Series, and I'd I'd be able to say the right things and raise the money and build the partnerships but also I was dealing with tension, anxiety, resistance, and everything really shifted for me. And this is the foundation of so much that I'm building now as a writer, as I'm facilitating these Junto retreats and as I'm uh, coaching founders, is that fundamentally I did not trust myself, is I did not think that I was enough. I didn't think that I was smart enough. I thought other people knew more than I did in so many arenas. And I had an experience when I was uh, 28 years old where I got invited to uh, a communication training in Cleveland. I was, uh, I was at the Conscious Capitalism Summit here in uh, Austin. And someone saw me speaking to a group of entrepreneurs and he came up to me after the group dispersed and he was complimenting my communication style. He said, I see you practicing this thing that I, I study and that I I support called gestalt communication. And I was like, what is that? And he said, well, it's this uh, communication framework that's grounded on really kind of authentic first person communication. And it's not very popular, but I believe that it's fundamental to human flourishing and the, the evolution of humanity. And I was like, cool, that sounds like really interesting. And he said, there's actually a CEO training that's happening in Cleveland in a couple of months, and if you're interested, I'd be happy to pay for you to go because he's a benefactor wow. of this modality. And he said, okay, sure. So I go to this place and it's at the Cleveland Institute of Gestalt. And I get to this event and there's about 40 people there. I'm, I'm the youngest. And so most people are in their 40s and 50s, CEOs, running businesses. And the facilitator starts the experience by saying, okay, what we're gonna do uh, this week is we're gonna focus on acknowledging our thoughts and our feelings as real and valid and deserving of a voice, okay? Second, we're going to engage our curiosity as valid and deserving of a voice. So whatever you want to know about me, about other people who are here and yourself, ask those questions, honor your curiosity. And last but not least, is we're gonna be fully present moment to moment. And he said, I promise you If you honor your thoughts as real and valid, if you honor your curiosity and you're fully present, you will have a really valuable experience. I said, okay, sure. And I had this life-changing moment very shortly after that because there was a a woman there, her name is Megan. I have permission to, to use her name. And Megan had started a really successful media company and she was one of the only younger people there in their 30s and so I thought, uh, her twenties, thirties, and so I, I wanted to build a relationship with her. So I had been engaging her and asking her questions. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I assume that most people have, but you're trying to make an inroad with somebody. Your mm-hmm. questions, you're going deep, and they're just not into it. <laughs> <Where> they're <laughs> yeah. they're looking around the room. They're giving you one, two word answers, and it feels like shit. And so here I am. I start to get in my head, and I'm thinking, here's this attractive, successful entrepreneur, not interested in me. She doesn't think that I'm successful or smart. All these stories start to kind of pop up. So I kind of let it rest. And then after the first break, I go to the coffee machine in the hallway and lo and behold, who's coming at me, it's Megan. And so I think about the prompts from the facilitator. Everything you're thinking and feeling is real and valid. Give it a voice, honor your curiosity. And so Megan comes over and I said, hey, Megan, do you mind if I share something? She says, yeah, sure. And I said, so I I really love everything that you've built, super inspired by it. And I wanted to share that I feel like I've been making an effort to connect with you and that you really haven't been interested or reciprocating. And I wanted to let you know that it's okay, but also I'm gonna stop. And so if you ever wanna chat with me, just let me
0: know and I'd be happy to connect. Wow. How did you feel? Like, did you feel comfortable doing that like liberating oh, no, or were you nervous uncomfortable i was dying okay.
1: inside and i had a kid <laughs> in my stomach and i was worried that i was being a weirdo and then yeah. i was being too vulnerable and the next thing that happened kind of i at first reinforced all those feelings is that there was like a three second pause bump 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 and then she just starts bawling she starts crying in front of me in front of the hallway and now there's people that are looking at us and i'm like holy shit what did i do uh <laughs> and she she looks back at me and she says Andrew, this is the last place on the planet I want to be right now. My co-founder is suing me. I'm breaking up with my boyfriend. I don't want to be here. And Mm. immediately something happened where it's kind of like the entire matrix revealed itself. And what I realized in that moment is that I had been making up an entire story about what was going on. and, And... collecting evidence for this whole story that I have about myself not being a nuts and that uh, people don't uh, perceive me as successful or whatever it was. And what I realized is that it wasn't just this interaction where I was doing that, that everywhere in my life, professionally, socially, romantically, I was interacting and living into this story of reality. And here I was, allowed myself to come out of the story and find out what was happening. And I found that it had absolutely nothing to do with me. But what happened next truly transformed my outlook and disposition towards communication and connection forever, which is that Megan walks back into the room after the break and she raises her hand. She's like, I'd like to share something. And she shares what she shared with me. She said, I wanted to share with everyone that I don't wanna be here. That, mm-hmm. so what's going on for me I'm not getting this, I'm not interested in it. And the facilitator says, who else feels like Megan? And four other people raise their hands and they're like, yeah, I don't really get this. It doesn't seem that cool. It seems like a waste of my time. Wow. And the facilitator allowed everyone to talk about those things. How often do you hold on to your resistance to stuff because you don't want to rock the boat? And everyone's like, oh, everyone talks about it. And so what I saw is that me simply being authentic created space for Megan to be authentic, to be who she was. And then that created space for everyone there to be who they were. And what Mm. I realized is that it was in this moment where I stopped trying to package myself, where I told myself I needed to be some way other than I was, that I started to impact people more honestly and more deeply than I ever could by trying. I was simply being And so this fundamentally transformed so much of the work that I was doing as a speaker and as a writer. And I really started to synthesize so much of what I had started to learn there and what I had experienced in my own practice through other modalities. And ultimately what came out of it was this framework that I now teach called Social Flow. And this is foundational for all the, the men's retreats that we do. It's foundational in the corporate offsites that I lead. But essentially what social flow is, is when you look at uh, flow states, which we oftentimes think about in the realm of athletics or artistic achievement, is those moments where you get completely in the zone, where time stands still, where effort flows naturally and you're just completely absorbed in the task at hand and you can do it with, with very little effort uh, and thought. And so one of the core tenets of creating flow states, is intrinsic motivation, is you are doing something because you want to be doing it, Mm -hmm. not because of the outcome. And what I started to realize is that so much of my communication was based on the outcome I hoped to achieve. And it's not bad to have an idea of the outcome or the goal that you wanna achieve, but it does start to inhibit our ability to perform when we're focused on the goal and not what's right in front of us. And so in flow state research, they talk about it as having a clear goal loosely held. And I started to see that there was a lot of uh, parallels to creating flow states as an athlete or as an entrepreneur, as a conversationalist. And that there was no clear framework to simply help us to come back to our internal motivation that we control in social settings so that we can detach from the perceptions, outcomes, the results that trigger anxiety. And in every given moment, we can come back to uh, four pillars of awareness. The easiest way to remember it is the simple acronym, I CAN. So I-C-A-N stands for intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, now. And the four questions that would enable anyone to go through this, would you be open to just working through the four questions really quick? And like, Yeah, "Yeah." absolutely. Okay, cool. So I I do this before any podcast, before any talk, before if I'm going on a date, whatever it might be. So the first question is, how do I want to be? And the idea is that so often we walk into a social setting uh, and we are reacting to the energy that's available there. And we allow that to dictate how we show up. What's so important is to simply put our attention onto our intention to create the experience that we'd like. So if you were to think about this podcast, for example, what are three ways that you would like to feel or be to be the most, Mark?
0: I, I mean, number one is for, for me is just present. Yeah. You know, if I can, if I can give 100% presence, then I also know I can trust that the right questions will surface. Yeah. Okay. So presence, give yeah. me two more. Presence, uh, energized, And curious.
1: Present, energized, curious. Perfect. So P-E-C. So it's like right there, you're going into the environment aware of who you are, how you want to be. And you can come back to that in any given moment and say, what would I do if I were more present, if I were energized, if I were curious? So we start there. And so the C in ICANN is for curiosity. And when we look at tension, anxiety, resistance in social settings, So oftentimes it's self-consciousness. We are hyper aware of our own experience. And the quickest way to transcend self-consciousness is with other consciousness. So rather than going into a setting and telling ourselves that we need to say anything at all, we can just honor our curiosity as a, a compass for connection. And so the question is, what do I want to know? And so if you were to think about this
0: podcast and where we're at right now, what do you most wanna know about me? So this is fascinating because, and this happens often in, in good interviews or when, when the guests are awesome like yourself and providing <laughs> a, lot, a lot for me to work with. Like I came in with a, a, a couple topics I wanted to explore and I actually i am less interested in understanding those topics now. Now I want to know is you clearly have had some pivotal moments in your life where that have formed some pretty uh, beneficial belief systems I'm more curious now with, uh, to understand the practices, the mental fitness that you have today, to yeah. keep yourself grounded and dialed into those belief systems and, and, cool. and not, you know, allow uh, outside forces to kind of throw you off.
1: Love it. So that's just one example. And I'm sure that you have yeah. so many more that are in there. But so what happens by asking ourselves what we want to know is again, we, we prepare ourselves with almost like social ammunition. We can go into any room and know that you have something to contribute. You don't need to say anything, but just by asking questions, you're inviting people into deeper, more meaningful dialogue that you're gonna be more interested in. And the next one is is authenticity. And so authenticity is just, what am I feeling and excited to contribute? So it's taking our curiosity and pointing it into ourselves. And one of the ways is that for, if you ever think about those moments where you're at an event and you just think to yourself, like, I don't know what to say to people. Mm -hmm. It's, What I do in those moments and what anyone can do is just to look internal and say like, what is interesting to me right now? What am I feeling or what do I want to know? What's unknown to me? And by connecting with what is real for us and sharing that, that I promise you that the the right thing to say in any moment is the real thing. Is that Mm. as humans, we have like biologically evolved to pay attention to authenticity. When someone is sharing something that is real or important, we can't look away. If you have one of those moments with somebody where you're like looking at the water cooler or like looking for other people, it's because they're in a story, like they're sharing something there, but if someone is connected to something that is real for them and speaking from that place, we cannot look away. Mm. And so that authenticity and learning to validate our own feelings, desires, whatever's going on for us, navigating our internal experience and allowing that to be what it is that we share is one of the, the most effective ways to captivate an audience, to connect with people, and honestly, to build trust. Foundational for any relationship is trust and safety. And the quickest way to earn trust is to tell the truth, even when you're afraid. So the third question in I can is, what am I feeling excited to contribute? And mm. so, if you were to say right now, like, what's what's most exciting in your world? What's alive? What are you excited to talk about while we're on this podcast?
0: I I mean, I, I'm just excited about the opportunity in this this space you and I find ourselves in. That you know, a lot of what you just talked about is is very accessible to anyone. I mean, they're questions, right? There, but they're questions and they're pauses that uh, provide the opportunity to unlock. Uh, you know almost like a caged mind. Yeah. So so and and that's the stuff that lights me up is 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 you know being present listening to you and trying to figure out the ways to make this so simple and so so accessible and practical for everyone listening that it's like there's you know if if everyone can get leave with one prompt or one action item or one of those aha moments I feel like we've done our job yeah. on this show. Cool.
1: And then the the last one is simple. So it's, again, intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, now. And now is just reminding us to come back into the here and now, is that most times when we're experiencing tension, anxiety, resistance, it's because we are in a story about what the future holds. We're holding some sort of limiting belief from the past. But in the present moment, things are usually pretty good. Like, it's very rare that we're actually in a moment where we are encountering real and imminent danger. And so allowing ourselves to come back into presence is is always where we're gonna be able to source most of our power. And so that simple question of coming back into how can I be more present and whether that is listening more deeply, whether that is simply connecting with our breath, whether that is simply noticing what's around us, it's that, that simple practice of coming back into presence, elongates our time between reacting to something and responding, Mm. the ability to choose how we show up, how we communicate, how we connect. And then from that place, you can just cycle back through this. But again, what these four questions do, how do I wanna be? What do I wanna know? What do I wanna share? And how can I be more present? It's coming back into these in any social setting, that's important or meaningful to you, it shifts our awareness off of the external forces that we will never control, that induce yeah. anxiety, that basically bring us anxiety and puts us onto the internal motivation that we have to communicate and connect. And that is where we can control how we show up and what we wanna do. And that's where we source our power, that's where we source true confidence and the ability to connect authentically with just about anyone. And so so that was the shift there. It's that it's not about tools and techniques. We come back to questions, right? Mm -hmm. About actually coming back into who am I right now? What do I wanna be? What do I wanna know? And this curiosity is how we come back to the most authentic version of ourselves and start sharing it. And it's a a practice and it's so fun. It's now because so much of my work is I say, I, I create things that remind me how I want to live and so whether I'm on a podcast with you, whether I'm going to Denver to teach a big uh, conference in a couple of weeks. And when I do these things, I used to get a great deal of anxiety before I'd go up and give a big talk. It's like the Cleveland Clinic and there's a thousand people and I would give great talks, you know, standing ovations. And I knew how to do that thing really well. But the process of getting there was so anxiety inducing for me, but it was the, the part about having talked and delivered a great talk that was so rewarding. Yeah. Whereas now, what I realized is that I have an idea of what I wanna say in any given talk, but also I'm present to my internal experience and willing for it to evolve and to go wherever I'm most alive because I know that that's the thing that is most going to engage my audience. And I think if you look at any of the best professional speakers on the planet, they spend a lot of time in their craft articulating what it is that they want to say, but they're speaking from a place of truth that resonates with their audience. You know, like we had just talked about like, what makes a great podcast? And you said, it's like, right? It's like when someone is going through a script, when they've said it before that way, you can tell. And that's the moment where you drown out, but it's the, the moment of, am I willing to become present to the energy of life and follow it where it's gonna take me? And even when I said that I got goosebumps in my body because it was a reminder that there's an energy of life, and learning how to get into that flow and to follow it is always what's going to feel best for us and to engage people most effectively.
0: <sighs> there was a lot of beautifulness in there, brother. I uh, thank you for for sharing those prompts and and all the others. I mean, I do. I I, I want to respect your time. I know we're we're nearing uh the the time we had scheduled together, but if if you're willing and, and you've you've got the capacity, I would love to understand. Uh, lastly, just some of your non-negotiable practices, just to keep help keep your mind clear and 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 focused on a lot of these belief systems, and um, you know, also just able to to kind of hear what's happening in the whispers and 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 direct your life and your path. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: I think that the the things that allow me to really honor these belief systems and keep them going consistently is creating rituals. And for me, uh, Ria Parker has a great thought about this, but what's the difference between a routine and ritual? Uh, She says one word, intention. And so Mm -hmm. for me, rituals are, and I think it's Stephen Covey who says like, you're not what you do, you are what you do consistently. And so I I create rituals where I, I spend time to really focus on what's important. One of the most important in my life is I've been in a, a weekly men's group for the past eight years and yeah. creating a container with eight to 10 guys and I've done this for now hundreds of other men to create these other men's groups. It's uh, it's a space to come and be totally honest with my experience to see who am I, where am I right now, what do I need, you know, and to be able to hold that space for other men. I think that fundamentally that's so important for me is to have that space where I'm totally transparent and being witnessed and reflected by other Mm -hmm. people that I trust and respect. I think that, um, allowing myself to be coached, it's, I think that like one of the best questions to ask, it's like, as a founder coach, it's always like, you know, who is your coach, right? And like, are you open to this practice as something that's truly transformational and valuable? And so just allowing myself to be coached, to find people whom i admire and respect and to really kind of seek guidance on the path and yeah. um and yeah and i think just uh the the tools that remind me of it, like is finding these little mantras like it's again a, one that really resonated with me recently is just the idea of just to create stuff that reminds me how i want to live it's that my yeah. my goal while i'm here is if I'm, if I'm forever just creating things, that could be a retreat curriculum, that could be a website, that could be a sweatshirt. If it reminds me how I wanna live, then it has value to me and I control that. Whether something is meaningful to me, how meaningful that is to other people, I will never fully control that, right? I can be conscious mm. of my inputs and what I create, but how people respond to that, I don't know. And so by constantly building things that remind me how I want to live, hopefully it resonates with other people. And fortunately it has, you know, with Tribute and now 6 million plus people who've created videos and thousands of guys who've come through Junto experiences. And um, But just focusing on the internal and, you know, allowing the external stuff to come as it does and to enjoy it when it does. But those are just a few of the things that come to mind of like, what do I consciously think of? That allows me to to really be who I am in the world and provide some of that accountability to keep showing up as as the most authentic version of me.
0: Incredible. I mean, I really I really resonate with just the notion of giving some thought around like what you're creating and what you're building towards, whether it's your work or you know it's a hobby or passion, but just doing things like you said to remind you on, on uh, about. Uh, remind you on how you want to live. I mean, then then you just surround yourself with those reminders nonstop, which is is such a superpower in itself. I mean, I, I have a feeling this is probably the first of, of many conversations we're gonna so. have. And I uh, there's a lot there's a lot of of synergy and um yeah, just further questions I have to to continue to learn and and uh be inspired by you and your work and your mind. So Until next time, but for now, thank you. And thank you for making the time. Thank you for showing up as you and taking those long drives and driving across the country to Alaska to, you know, reflect on some big prompts because there's a lot of people in the world that have benefited from that very conversation. So thank you for that. Well, and
1: thank you to the people who asked the questions, right? Thanks to Stever. Thanks to my dad. I think that and, and you're someone who I respect is really honoring the, the transformational power of questions themselves. And I think, again, it's, it's something beautiful that people walk away from this. It's just like great questions are one of the most important and useful tools that we have to foster transformation in ourselves and other people. And so cheers to living the questions now. Letting them rip. Speaking my language. <laughs>